Hi, you're listening to a sermon from Oak Hills Church in Folsom, California. We're so glad you're listening. If you'd like more information, you can visit us online at oakhills.org or phone us at 916-983-0181. In our scripture reading, Jesus uses a scene that would have been quite familiar to a first century person, and he uses this scene to drive home the importance of acting for the good of the least of these. A shepherd separating the sheep from the goats. All sorts of theorizing as to why a shepherd would separate sheep from the goats. Not important for us to get into all this. But as a picture of Jesus one day separating those who followed him from those who didn't follow him. This is a judgment passage. This whole uh, scripture reading we read is a judgment passage. And you may have had this experience. I certainly did throughout the time I've been looking at this, it creates a cringe factor to read it and to hear it. It's hard. It's uncomfortable. It goes right between the eyes with a two-by-four. Jesus' very obvious point is that one of the marks of those who follow him is that they engage with the least of these. Feed the hungry. Provide water for the thirsty. Welcome the stranger into their home. Clothe the poor, visit the sick and in prison. Now, this isn't the whole of what it means to follow Jesus. This passage is not intended to summarize the entirety of what it means to be a Christ follower. There are other aspects. But one sign God's grace is operating in us is our willingness to be with the least of these and act for their good. The sheep are those who do this. And Jesus says they inherit life forever with their king. The goats are those who don't do this. And they are sent away by the king. Jesus says, cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Why such a tragic ending? Because they saw the hungry and thirsty and stranger and poor and sick and homeless and ignored them or shook their head at them or otherwise dismiss them. Jesus was a brilliant teacher. He was always trying to open people's eyes to kingdom life. So think of this not as a clipboard to-do list. I have to do something nice for a poor person today, or I could end up in hell. It's nothing like that. Think of this as an overall posture, an attitude, a disposition. What actually churns when we see or encounter someone who is the least of these? See, this is in our face love by Jesus, so we know that following him and being with the least of these go hand in hand. Can't have one without the other. Robert Hestinus was a fuller professor and a pastor, and she once said this at a conference. Any spirituality that consistently neglects the needs of the poor is a defective spirituality. Any spiritual discipline that ignores or forgets or neglects the forgotten runs the risk of spiritual self-deception. Any spirituality that misses the poor is inadequate, deficient, and needs correction. It is not enough to weep. We must act. The path of Christian discipleship 
calls us to engagement with the poor. But the danger is that the American church is constantly being tempted by a narcissistic gospel that results in personal and congregational well-being, but ignores the poor. Psalm 146, verses 7 through 9. Many passages we could look at that drive this point home. Here's one of them. He upholds the cause of the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the alien and sustains the fatherless and the widow. We have often talked in here about the various ways in which Christianity is politicized in our country, meaning all across the political spectrum, for some, politics and Christianity have merged together and become one new thing, like taking mayonnaise and ketchup, two separate things, and mixing them together, and you have Thousand Island dressing. It's a weird example. So we'll keep going. We won't belabor it. But it's become increasingly difficult to talk about the way of Jesus and the ethics of his kingdom without people immediately thinking along political lines. As if the ethics of Jesus are primarily the responsibility of the government. Now, for sure, politics are part of this life. The governance of our nation matters to God, and it should matter to us. But the politicizing of kingdom ethics lets Christ followers off the hook way too easily. As if the bulk of our responsibility consists in who we vote for, which certainly matters. But Jesus says this interesting thing. You gave me something to eat. You invited me in to your home when I was homeless. You clothed me. You looked after me when I was sick. And you visited me when I was in prison. See, as I read this, it isn't enough for Christ followers or for the church to delegate responsibility for the least of these to a political entity. It isn't even enough to grieve the plight of the least of these, or feel sorry for those who are less fortunate. Jesus said the least of these are his brothers and sisters, his family. And acting for their good is a sign of God's grace at work in us. So as his followers, we have a God-given responsibility to the least of these. They are us. They are our people. They are family. Brothers and sisters, our responsibility. And we must act for their good. We've been talking about encountering God in everyday life in this series. And based on what today's scripture reading says, we encounter God in and through the least of these. So acting for their good is ultimately about obedience to God. Put it this way. We encounter God. When we, when we do what he says to do. We encounter God when we align with his will. And it is his will that his people treat the least of these like their family. 
Secondly, a character quality, not a religious duty. Verses 37 through 39 of our scripture reading are rather fascinating. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry or and feed you, or thirsty, and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger, and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? Those who followed the example of Jesus in their response to the least of these didn't realize they were doing anything especially right. It wasn't a duty they were out fulfilling, or a job they were performing. It was an expression of who they were. Love for the least of these and acting for their good was who they were in their inner being, in their heart, and in their character. And so it flowed out of them routinely and naturally. In our language, they had been spiritually formed to be people who cared for and loved and acted for the good of the least of these. Verses 44 and 45 of today's scripture reading are not so much fascinating as they are sobering. Those who did not follow the example of Jesus in their response to the least of these, but rather ignored or forgot or dismissed them, didn't realize they were doing anything especially wrong. Ignoring, dismissing, shaking the head, maybe even disdaining the least of these was just part of who they had become. It flowed out of them. Routinely and naturally, and most sobering of all, at least from my perspective, is that both groups, you may have noticed, address Jesus as Lord. Lord, when did we do this? Lord, when did we not do this? For group one, this meant he is the king, and they follow his lead and actually obey his teaching. For group two, Lord was merely an honorary title. Now again, I want to repeat this. The totality of what it means to follow Jesus is not all stuffed into this passage. We know it is God's grace and his grace alone that brings us into relationship with Jesus. We don't earn our way by doing good works. But God's grace is always manifested in the lives of Jesus' disciples. And one manifestation is that increasingly we have Jesus' heart and character For the least of these, we see with his eyes, we hear with his ears, we feel with his compassion, and we act in his power to bring good to the least of these. How does Oak Hills Church know if we're doing anything meaningful from week to week? How do we know if this ministry is making any sort of lasting, transformative difference? Count the number of people who come. Not so sure about that. I'd love to have more people here. I'd love to have the room full for nine services. But I don't know if counting the number of people who come answers the question of whether or not we're doing something that makes a difference each week. Count the offering. I think that it maybe shows something. Count the number of programs we have. I don't think that matters too much. How about this? Are more and more of us growing in our love for the least of these and in our willingness to be with them and act for their good? I would suggest to you that's a meaningful, if you want to use the word, success indicator. Third, a relationship, not a project. Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. 
Jesus says the least of these are his family. I was a stranger, and you invited me into your home. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. It's a ministry of incarnation. That's Jesus' specialty. God with us, dwelling with us, present with us. A ministry of being with the least of these. Emily said this beautiful thing a moment ago. Sometimes I have no idea what to say, so I don't say anything. I just sit there, present, with incarnation. Theologian Gary Anderson puts it this way, in early church history, the church believed they were encountering the presence of the living Christ in the poor. Like actually encountering God in and through the least of these. Mother Teresa described the least of these as, quote, Jesus in disguise. Dave Fitch, with a little more sharp point on the end of it, our relationship with the poor is not to be organized as a program at our local church. Instead, in everyday life, we are to come alongside, be present to the poor in a relationship of family. In this relational space, something truly amazing happens. Jesus becomes especially present. Antagonisms become unwound. Resources are shared back and forth. Healing takes place. Relationships are restored. And a new world is born. This is the discipline of being with the least of these that is to characterize our everyday life as Christians, as Christ's church. How do we do this? What does it actually look like? Let's just say it. It's easier not to do this. This is hard. Emily said this. This is uncomfortable. Emily said this. This is inconvenient. Emily said this. And this is transformative, as she said so as well. We are changed when we encounter the least of these in a relationship of family. How do we live this out? I like Fitch's recommendation. We begin with the hurting who are right around us, in our church, in our family, in our circle of friends, in our neighborhood, in our workplace, in our school. We start in the situations right around us. I'm increasingly convinced that our calling as Jesus' people and as his church in this divisive and fractured world is to put the ethics of the kingdom into action within our own congregation. So a place to begin is to be present with the least of these within our own church, to live it out in our own church and let it radiate out from there. Let's face it, when we really start to unpack the meaning of the least of these, who of us has not at one time or another been the least of these? Hungry, thirsty, a stranger, feeling unwelcomed, poor, lonely, forgotten, hurting, confused, sick, imprisoned. Who of us has not, at one time or another, been the least of these? So lastly, let's talk about the practice for this week. The practice is simple. Be present to the least of these and act 
for their good. Notice and respond to the least of these as though they were your family or a friend, because according to Jesus, they are. And start with the opportunities right in front of us, within our own church, and within the flow of what is already happening in our own setting. So some wild ideas. With all the technology available right now, there are people sitting in this room right now who have the skill to put together a way for those at Oak Hills who have needs to connect with those at Oak Hills who can meet those needs. Not a staff thing, not a program, a way of connecting rooted in the relationship we already have by virtue of the fact that we are already part of the same congregation. Rooted in being with each other, leaning on each other, needs people have somehow made aware and people in the church see that and say, I can help you with that. It's that word community on that wall out there where we become interdependent on each other. There are people in this room who have the skill to say, I know how to do that. I can create some online, I'm going to get past my ability to talk here in a moment, thing that's really easy. You sign into it. Hey, my car broke down. Hey, we got four sitting in our driveway. You want to use one? The needs of single parents. Think about this. The needs people have who are in difficult marriages within our own congregation. Cars breaking down. You know how often we get emails? Hey, so-and-so's car broke down and they can't get from A to B. Young people in our church who simply cannot afford to live in this town. And some of us who are not so young have houses that have nobody in them. Empty rooms. Is there a way to connect that? Elderly who can't get to their appointments, can't get to church. The sick who used to be sitting right near you, who never will again because they can no longer make it to a service. People who are hurting financially within our own congregation. People in our own congregation who are lonely and just need a listening ear. People in our own congregation, for whatever reason, looking for a room to rent, a place to stay. Connecting that. People have occasionally asked me, have we ever thought of a tiny house community on our property for those who need a place to live? Here's the answer. Yes, a place young people could actually afford, a place where homeless people could actually have a home. And anyone else who wanted to could experience community in such a setting. The idea has come up many times. Others have said, what if we had a weekly community meal, something we used to do years ago? If we had a weekly community meal, we have this massive and beautiful kitchen. What if we opened that up and had a meal once a week? Everybody was invited to both here and outside of here. And we had tables and food. And we didn't just give food or serve food to those who were hungry. We sat with those who are hungry and thirsty. And we ate with them and cultivated relationship with them. Could we do that? Answer, yes. How about a free rental car service 
So when someone in the church's car breaks down, someone who has two in their driveway goes, hey, we got one. Use it until you don't need it anymore. Could we do that? Yes, we could do that. How about we open our homes to each other? How about we just begin to experiment with this and to our friends and neighbors and we just eat together and we invite others to join us and we don't spend all this time worrying about what our house looks like. We keep our eyes open for what God is doing in those gatherings and encounters. What if we just did that? We begin with the hurting who are right around us. See, part of what this is is some of you going, I could do that. I have a heart for that. I want to do that. I have the ability to do this technical term called thing, to connect people like that. Part of this is us realizing that we have a responsibility to do something about this. And we begin with the hurting who are right around us in our church, in our circle of friends, in our neighborhood, in our workplace. We start right there. We have a benevolence fund. Some of you are aware of this. Many of you are not. What is a benevolence fund? It's a fund that we set aside that every now and then we'll have a benevolence offering. Money comes in and it sits there until somebody wanders through the door of the church sometime during the week. Someone we know or don't know. Someone who's part of Oak Hills or not and says, I'm in a tough time. Is there any way you can help? And so we take them through a process and try to help. And someone may say, well, don't you get scammed doing that? You bet we do. All the time. All the time. We have a process. We have a way of doing it. And in the moment, you know I'm being scammed. Why? Because six months ago, this same person was doing the exact same thing, heading from Seattle to Florida in a car with a quarter tank of gas. Now, who goes to Florida from Seattle via Folsom? And when you hear it two or three times, you go, oh, okay, I know this. So what? We push on it, we have a process, and we seek to help. This happens every week. Or people in the church hit a rough patch, hit a tough time. Somehow or another, it floats back, hey, so-and-so's got such-and-such a bill looming over their head. Take the benevolence money, pay for it, help them, be involved. It's what? The church is supposed to be doing. So the benevolence fund is one way. Give to it and we help people out. It's not the only way, it's one way. This heart program, this heart ministry that we mentioned earlier, Travis mentioned, it's something that happens during the winter months so that people who are homeless have a place to stay during the cold weather and during the rainy weather they actually can have a roof over their head and a warm meal for a week and they don't have to find a tree somewhere that's not... Uh, that's outside and so we're part of that and it begins tonight our first week and then on February 9th we'll have our second week and you can receive this however you want to I'm not gonna you know play fire and brimstone here but I just think when I look at how large of a church we are and the abundance of blessing we've received and the opportunity that's right in front of us that's intersected with our path, I'll just say this. We should have more people signed up to volunteer than we have spots available for two weeks. It should be a no-brainer. Why? Because we encounter God 
when we are with those who are the least of these. Things happen in the spiritual realm when we engage in those experiences. The lobby out in, or the booth out in the middle of the lobby, the one when you walk through the doors, it's sitting there right in the middle. There's somebody, there'll be somebody there after the service. We have lots of spots that need to be filled to cover all of the opportunities during this, these weeks of heart. We have two weeks. This week starting tonight and then starting on February 9th. And I would just simply invite you to consider how can I be involved? How can I uh, serve in this way and be with the least of these through one of these experiences and trust that it's the right thing to do, it's a good thing to do, and God will show up when I do it. I want to close with a reading from one of my favorite books called The Shattered Lantern. And I'm just going to let the author's words finish our time here. He writes, There's a story told about Francis of Assisi, perhaps more mythical than factual, which illustrates how touching the poor is the cure for a mediocre and dying faith. One night prior to his conversion, Francis, then a rich and pampered young man, donned his flashiest clothes, mounted his horse, and set off for a night of drinking and carousing. God, social justice, and the poor were not on his mind. Riding down a narrow road, he found his path blocked by a leper. He was particularly repulsed by lepers, by their deformities and smell. And so he tried to steer his horse around the leper, but the path was too narrow. Frustrated, angry, but with his path clearly blocked before him, Francis eventually had no other choice but to get down off his horse and try to move the leper out of his path. When he put out his hand to take the leper's arm, as he touched the leper, something inside him snapped. Suddenly irrational, unashamed, and undeterred by the smell of rotting flesh, he kissed that leper. His life was never the same again. In that kiss, Francis found the reality of God and of love in a way that would change his life forever. Let's pray together. Our Father, it is good to gather together in your name, in your presence, to be with you, to be with each other. It's good to set aside the time and the effort to come under your word listen to it it's really good to just let it lay there let it have its way it's really good to hold our perspectives and to even hold this interpretation I've suggested today in an open hand certainly not all right or accurate but here's where we invite you and your spirit to continue to shape us into your people who have your heart, who have your eyes, your ears, and who respond to you. And we continue to pray. We acknowledge that um, where we live is sometimes makes it difficult for us to touch the least of these. So we pray that you will help us to enter into these experiences to see those who cross our path, to recognize we are the least of these, 
And just as we need you and others, we can be you for others. And so we pray for this heart and this perspective and posture to continue to grow in us. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.